nearly 50 minutes. All right. It never feels like that long, does no. it? Like it's, it's like we've been nearly gas bagging for an hour, and here we are on the final item. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to GCP Life, episode number nine a podcast where we discuss Google Cloud and tech. This episode is sponsored by Kazna. And on today's show, we take a look at the Strangler pattern, how your dead files are hurting the planet. We see that Google doubles down on their bug bounty. We take a look at Project Zero. There's GCP security news, new GCP features, and I finally get a video card. But before we get to any of that, I want to introduce the co-host that's with me all the time, Ida Bailey. How are you going, Ida? I'm going good. Um, right in the uh, middle of the pandemic peak here in New Zealand. Oh, really? What are the case numbers at the moment? Uh, Twenty-two something thousand. Um, I don't, last time I looked, I think we're hovering around seven thousand at the moment. Oh, this is na- this is nationwide, though, right? Yeah, for you yeah. guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that Omicron's going to get you. Um, what's the, what's the, uh, the New Zealand policy going to be in, uh, in relation to living with it? It's just living with it. <laughs> it's living with it. Yeah. Yeah. They've removed yeah. the, um, requirement for people from Australia to even isolate now. Just come in. Yeah. 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 As long as you're vaccinated, of course. Yeah. In the case. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I got my booster shot the other day and, uh, I, I went with Moderna this time and, uh, yeah. Wow, I, it, I, it, I had a reaction to that. Yeah, it was feverish for about 12 hours, um, but now I'm right as rain. So, um, you know, better than getting COVID. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. Um, I had AstraZeneca the first time around, and, and it wasn't that bad, but um, I'm more all boosted up now, so good. Um, yeah, all right. So uh, you've been uh, tinkering with anything during the, the week? Uh, no, um, just in the middle of a major go live. So, right, pretty keeping pretty, busy with that. <laughs> lots of things. Uh, edge cases are falling out of everywhere. <laughs> yeah, always the way, isn't it? You get do that cut over, and when it finally gets put to work, um, problems problems uh, problems emerge. I'd been playing with uh, Terraform module registry again, and um, actually made a full legit module. So um, if, you, if you're so inclined and you go searching around, you will find um, a publisher by the name of Kazna Cloud, and there's a module there called GCVE, and that module will build out all the networking and the VPC and all the necessary bits and pieces uh, in order for you to connect your GCVE VMware cluster into a, into a project. Um, now, unfortunately, the uh, the actual GCVE itself, um, there's no API, or the API is not published for that, so we, we can't sort of go down the path of having that all built out um, programmatically at this stage. But that would be a goal of this this module um, eventually. So yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing. Cool. Yeah, I've always wanted to publish something on that. Yeah, and I'm looking at doing more. Um, I've actually um, one I'm working on at the moment is really cool. It's um, but I'll tell you about it first. It's, it's the Google Cloud Directory Sync. So that's what allows you to synchronize an Active Directory to 
um, to to uh, you know your, your your Google Cloud tenancy. But um, Google have come in and just stolen the thunder, and they've actually you can get that now. We might cover it in in next week's show, but you can get that now as a service as a, a directory sync service. So you don't need to spin up your whole whole directory sync server and run their little bespoke tool set and everything. Anyway, I, I built a bo- module that builds a Linux box and puts an LXD desktop on it and VNC and all the rest, and you can <laughs> VNC onto it. And because and, it's, a, it's a Java BUI app thing. Ah. So it, it builds it all out. It's really cool. I and mean, I, I had to crack a few nuts to make it work. But um, yeah, that's, but alas, it's kind of pointless now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you hear Akamai? Akamai bought Linode. I did. Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting. It's kind of sure if it's going to be going you know, throw a lot of money into it and we'll have a you know interesting new cloud provider on the market or yeah it's interesting to see where it goes i personally i think that's what's going to happen um look honestly we don't know how it's going to pan out but um linode typically have a pretty good history with transitions they've they've bought and sold things in the past and it's all gone pretty smoothly um i think um, I think the thing with Akamai though is um, they don't currently have really any cloud services. They don't have any compute per se, right? So taking Linode on, it's not like they they're doing the embrace embrace and extinguish kind of thing, right? They're taking them on with a purpose. They're not just going to take them on and just chuck the whole thing in the bin. They're going to um, they'll continue to use Linode as their compute provider. And as you say, they could potentially become another cloud service provider. Yeah, I think, right. you know, the more the merrier out there and the, having a few little feisty people, you know, pushing some boundaries is always good for the pushing some, you know, things in the in the bigger players. Yeah, well, you know, the, you might see some innovation, right? The smaller guys tend to innovate a little bit more. Mm. And then that, that forces the, the big guys to follow suit. I don't want to lose any market share to them. But I think, um, you know, I think it'll, it'll probably work out. I think if you're a Linode customer or an Akamai customer, I don't think you need to fear. I think you're still going to be in pretty good uh, situation with them. I think it's better than uh, MS or AWS <laughs> yeah. grabbing them and then, <laughs> and then wiping them out. <laughs> or IBM and tripling the prices. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Or oh, IBM. Yeah. Boy. Anyway, all right, look, we'll, we'll kick the show off here. Um, that's enough banter for now. Oh, one more thing I wanted to point out. <laughs> I finally cracked and bought a video card. I finally oh. cracked and bought it. Here, look, I'll show you. Hang on, hang on. Very nice. Do you still have your kidneys? I got, I got the boxy. I'm waving it around in front of the screen. Uh, yes, it's, it's in the system now. Not in the system I'm using here, but in my Windows box. Uh, GeForce RTX 3070 Ti. Now, it's the OC model. Now, I originally did say I wasn't going to go with the OC model, but I, I couldn't go past the price, right? Uh, 12, 1275 Oz, um, which is better than the sort of 1900 Oz I was looking at for a 3080. And... The thing that really sold me on this particular one, this is the Galaxy one. Now, look, if you're a video card snob, I guess you'd call that a budget card. But honestly, they're all built to a reference, so they're all effectively the same thing. I think um, if you're over $1,000, it's probably not budget. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, then it's, it's yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a 3070, so it's going to be, 
It's going to be. I mean, in terms of not in terms of the actual chip. I'm talking about the the, the builder, the manufacturer, oh, the yeah, Galaxy. Yeah. I see what you mean. Um, yeah, that's right. And Zotac is probably in that ballpark as well. But I've had a Zotac card before, and there's a. I was more than, more than happy with that. Um, so I went with these guys. I've never had a Galaxy card before, and it seems fine. I, I used it last night, performing really well. Um, but the big thing that sold me, um, oh, oh, show you my old card. Of course, this is going to make great uh, visual on a on a <laughs> on a on a podcast uh, audio format. That's my old card, right? That's that's a, a GTX ninety eighty. Don't get me wrong; that is a fantastic card. I've had that for a long, long time. Yeah, about ten years or maybe more like eight years, and it's still perfectly capable of playing many, many, many games. Probably not Cyberpunk. Uh, but I was playing War Thunder, and it was perfectly capable. But you can see that's a triple fan arrangement. Mm. Um, the new card is you basically a double fan arrangement. It's that that size, right? Fans are the same size and absolutely kicks this thing's butt. Yeah. Um, outperforms it like you wouldn't believe. This thing, the fans would scream up. The, the memory would get full um, and the, the, the GPU load would go through the roof. Yeah. But it would do it. It would do it. Um, the, the new card, it's not even touching the sides. You could probably get three, four hundred for that on second hand now. I probably could. Yeah, yeah. I'm still. Yeah, I probably. Well, I don't really have a use for this. So I probably will sell it. Um, and I, I got my Sana card as well, which is a GTX sixteen sixty. Um, and uh, he's got a ten fifty. I'll, I'll repurpose the ten fifty in my Plex box to help with transcribing, transcoding. Maybe in five years, you know, we triple the price. So. Could be, yeah, and you know what? I've actually got it. I've got down in a box there a, 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 um, a GTX 480 from even ages ago. I wonder how much I could get for that, that now. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost almost useless now. Yeah, I bought a, a, a graphics card recently, and it was two years old. Second hand, I got it, and it was I paid more than <laughs> yeah. What it was yeah, so I said, oh, now what I was going to point out with this video card, um, you know, I said. You know the night the nine eighty was it's three fans the new ones two fans and it uses two eight pin power sockets right yeah the the thirty seventy is a drop in replacement so it's got exactly the same power requirements and that is what got sold me that's what got me across the line and the reason for that is it gives me an upgrade path so I've got a nine fifty watt power supply right now uh, which is more than enough juice for it and I could just drop it straight in. All the power was straight there, and there's a drop-in replacement for it. And then when I do build my new rig, I can easily move the video card across, and I'll be getting all the performance goodness along with it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was the, uh, real, really the ideal way to give me that upgrade path. Um, yeah, so there you go. I finally beat the bullet, and, oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. 144 hertz playback. If you've not experienced the 144 hertz yet, and I was stuck in, like, the 60 hertz... <laughs> Ancient arcade world. Legacy gaming. <laughs> arcade, legacy gaming at 60 hertz. I'd not gamed at 144 hertz before. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it was like some sort of light went on. <laughs> you can't go back now. I cannot go back. Oh, my God. It's just, I don't know. It's like watching melting butter. <laughs> I don't know. It was, it's just so smooth and satisfying. I can't, I can't express it in words how good it is to play at a high frame rate. Oh, boy. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's so good. Still doesn't help me in the game now. I still <laughs> I'm terrible at it, but this <laughs> makes it far more enjoyable. All right, enough enough banter. Let's get on with let's get on with the show. Um, I wanted to kick off today's show and talk about the strangler pattern. Now, um, there's a great article by um, that that came up. I, I, honestly, I don't know how I, I, I came across this article from June 26, 2018. So the idea of the strangler pattern has been around for a while. Um, Jason Bullzor, Bullzor, um, I'll link in the show notes. Uh, you can find plenty of articles about this, but I wanted to talk about this because this um, it's becoming more and more. I'm, I'm seeing that it's becoming more and more relevant. I think. I think with people's migration to the cloud right now, um, a lot of the low-hanging fruit, the easy migrations have been done. What, what do you think, you know? Is, this, is, that your, is that your feeling with it at the moment? Uh, yeah, usually it's the, you know, the, everyone gets the, the easiest stuff into cloud as soon as possible. The, you know, single app with one database. <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, that's all the easy stuff, right? Yeah. Or, you know, either, either it's it's been easy stuff that's moved into cloud, or it's just been the on-prem stuff's just been decommissioned altogether. Um, or, or new apps have sprung up that are cloud native, right? Yeah. Um, what what we have left are is the complex stuff, right? And all the projects that have come by me recently have been exactly that, quite complex. And there seems to be some sort of expectation that um, we can just pick those up and move them into cloud. Oh, yeah, we'll just pick them up and move them to cloud. That's nothing further. That's about as far from the truth as you, as you can get. And I think, um, you know, at an organisation level, those organisations need to understand. They need to understand two things, right? First of all, they need to be prepared to change, Right, so they need to be able to prepare to move to agile. Right, they've got to move away from monolithic th- thinking. They've got to move away from um, the idea of of huge project teams, uh, huge, highly, you know, uh, you know, time driven, um, big organisational projects to more smaller, agile things that. Groups that that that, that do things, um, you know, in bite-sized chunks, right? That's the first thing they've got to do, and then they've got to think, start thinking about their applications like that as well, right? In terms of um, being smaller, more nimble, more agile, right? Yeah. The strangler pattern achieves that, right? So what you're basically doing is you're taking. Uh, you, can, you can think of it at, at, at any level. Think of it at, at, a, at a macro level, at a micro level, at the application level, at the infrastructure level. You can think of it at any level. Um, it takes that big behemoth, and then what you do is you basically pull it apart bit by bit, and you just move each of those components into the cloud, and eventually that strangler fig takes over the entire application. To do that takes some time. Right, and it takes understanding of, of the app and it takes some time. Now, a lot of the time, people would say, we want to go to cloud and we've got three months to do it. Yeah. You know, we've got two months to do it. Our, our contracts expire. We've got to be out of the data center. Well, it's too late. It's too late, right? You, you need to be making a decision with two 
or three years in advance. Right, and you need to, and you need to be ready for organize, organizational change as well. If you're and lucky, you need- you're already, you know, containerized in some way, and you can kind of. Do oh, I'm thinking the worst case scenario. I'm thinking. I'm thinking absolute worst case scenario. I'm thinking, you know, Windows boxes with bespoke apps I, installed. I have worked on a, um, yeah. a, a worst case scenario, which was uh, actually. Oh, Think I can mention it. The um, like Victorian uh, title system um, called Vots, and that was three million lines of .NET running on a Windows server that talks to a, like a physical Spark architecture, like Solaris database. Oh yeah, oh and yeah. And that got moved <laughs> to AWS. It just took two years, and eighty developers were yeah. working for two years to and what rewrite the entire thing from scratch. Right, so they break it down to microservices or just uh, monolith the whole thing? Did, they didn't, I don't think they did the strangler pattern. I think they just, because it was such a massive rewrite. Um, right. And right, having okay, to do rewrite. a complex system and running it with two separate database backends, one in the cloud, one on-prem on a different architecture, <laughs> it's just right. not going to happen. Yeah, oh, no, that's, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, if you're coming off uh, if you're coming off Spark servers, then you've got a whole new ball game. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'll say I once had a Spark emulator running in a VM on on AWS, and we were actually able to run some Solaris programs in that. Spark emulator. <laughs> but it, it was, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, you, you can do it. Um, we might, we might make it an item on the show, but it only runs thirty two bit stuff, so it's it's not uh, hasn't yeah, been developed all the way up. Pretty legacy. <laughs> Because yeah, yeah, if you need yeah, yeah, Solara Seven, but yeah, it, we I could probably write something up on how to do that, but it's uh, yeah, it was a piece of work. So look, the Strangler pattern is a representation of agility within the em- enterprise. If you're moving your agile direction or doing a legacy modernization, you are using the Strangler pattern, whether you realize it or not. All right, so yeah, if you, you you're modernizing stuff, and I think the key to it is pick out. Parts of it that you can modernize, you know, trying to eat the whole elephant at once, it's it's just too difficult, right? It's too, you can, it's too many moving parts in some of these complex applications, you know, particularly for one individual to hold. You need to just break off into teams and 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 pull it apart one at a time. And this actually fits with Google's recommendation for migrating to the cloud, which is move the data first. So if you consider the data as part of it. Right, as part of the overall big picture, as part of the infrastructure, then that's effectively forms part of this strangler pattern, right? So you're moving the data first, um, and once you've got that in the cloud, uh, then you can start building your microservices that hook into that data. For a legacy transition to work, the focus must be on the agile enterprise, not just agile development. Right, so there needs to be prepared for cultural change as well. I think that's what it's trying to say. Yeah, it depends how. I mean, I'm imagining you'd have to have a massively complicated thing that you really, yeah, you have to pair off like slices of an apple with the bits that you want. Um, yeah, that's like right. Whittle it down. Yeah. Um, and whittle it down, yeah. And I, I think, yeah, look, I, I guess a downside to that might be is you've got to put APIs on everything. I mean, that's really where you're going, right? Um, so that all those microservices can easily call backwards and forwards to each other. Yeah. But 
You should have GCP that anyway. officers. Yeah. Bunch, you should have that anyway, right? So if if you go on everything, you got pub, pub, using PubSub or you know Apogee or whatever, you can you can, um, yeah, you can you can easily provision all that. Uh, but a poorly conceived microservices transition, one where the entire enterprise neither embraces the agile philosophy nor understands what it means to go to a microservice strategy, can have disastrous consequences. I mean, I think what he's saying there is if you've got, you know, if not, if not everyone's pulling in the same direction, you're going to have disastrous consequences. I think that that's, rings true for a lot of things. I think the other point we've got, we, we need to kind of call out here is um, even though you, you, you're moving to the, the cloud, um, you do need to make sure your apps are cloud aware and cloud prepared and, and run nicely on cloud. And to take a quote from him here, he says, um, I've seen situations where an application ran great on a developer's local desktop where it wasn't a problem if the app woke every few seconds, checked the database, went back to sleep and repeated this process over and over. But a month after pushing this app to the cloud, the company got a bill from its cloud provider for thousands of dollars of CPU time. Clearly now the company considered the ramifications of porting this app directly to the cloud rather than optimizing it for the cloud. I mean, that's just one example. Yeah, I've seen some uh, interesting ones where you've had, say, two versions. You've got a new version, you've deployed to the cloud, but you're actually still pointing to the same database backend, and then all of a sudden you've got these two live systems and someone hasn't configured something right, and so actually the new one's overriding, like, the live database in production. (laughs) That's someone else's right. Well, it's also the production ones right into the same database. And it's just like, oh, you should not have done that. <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> I've oh, done that. <laughs> you should not have done that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but wait, when you find out that the, uh, the backups were uh, set up to backup to the same place as well, and you've overridden your backups. Yeah. No, I had a backup. <laughs> I had a backup. Uh, yeah, I was doing a... Um, we had a self-managed Confluence server and uh, we were moving it to the cloud and uh, I'd made a copy of said Confluence server and put it in the cloud and I wanted to upgrade it in preparation for the cutover. And of course, I ran the upgrade, but uh, it was still pointing at the old database, yeah. the live database, and it upgraded the whole thing. <laughs> Upgraded all the schemas in the database and everything and broke it. And, of course, the real confluence wasn't upgraded. Uh, <sighs> I should have saved that one for the war stories. <laughs> confluence. There you go. That's, you That's a say, free right? war story. <laughs> self-managed confluence. Yeah, self-managed confluence. I know. Yeah, don't get me started on that. <sighs> anyway, look, just to recover from that, he goes on to talk about lift and shift and... You know what? He, he, his quote is, lift and shift are fairy tale. Now, I, 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 in some, some respects, I do agree with that. In other respects, I don't. Um, VMware uh, with HX Migrator, like literally lift and shift, right? You can move the networks, right? It tunnels the, the layer two stuff across. You literally can lift and shift. Right, and there's uh, like, that's you know, a- Grimm's fairy tales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that Grimm's fairy <laughs> Right. Whenever I take a quote here, whenever I mention lift and shift to developers, architects, and customers, they usually laugh because they've gone through enough pain to understand it's not entirely possible. 
and that the organization will be in a hybrid or transitional state for an extended period of time. Yeah, if you're using doing traditional lift and shift, I mean, you've got to change IP addresses, you've got to set up a tunnel, you've got to do a lot of stuff, and it's really, it's a lot of work just for an interim state. Yeah, I mean, if we're an outage, that's fine for a lot of stuff. You just literally manage the whole process very tightly. Yeah, but if you're trying to do a, a live Twitch or anything, yeah going to have a bad time. And just to take one final quote from the article here, without an agile transformation, you'll never truly achieve a microservices architecture. That's why the strangler pattern is a good approach. You can't just say one day, we're going agile into the cloud and the whole organization replies, okay, we're ready. You'll meet resistance. Process will have to be rewritten, code and deployment processes will need to change. It's a huge undertaking. Yeah, and such a huge undertaking takes time. So give yourself plenty of time. All right, let's move on. Uh, We had a bonus war story in that one as well, bonus horror story in that one as well. Yeah, article that's come out here on uh, Fast Company, written by Adele Peters, talking about your abandoned files in the cloud could be increasing carbon emissions which is fair enough, right? So you've got storage, you've got compute. It's just just burning CPU cycles, right? He gives us some figures here. A company that they analysed, data used by its customers last year, it found more than 600 tonnes of CO2 emission that could potentially be eliminated by cleaning up old projects, roughly the climate equivalent of planting 10,000 trees. That's, I wonder if that's per month or per year, um, because that's... Still a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Oh, that'd be annually, I'd say, is typically how they give these figures. Um, that was just one case. Right. So that begs the question how do you fix this problem? Well, glad you asked, Dita. Glad you are. <laughs> There's a tool. There is a tool. Uh, it's part of the recommendation API. It will help you identify virtual machines instances that have not been used. The recommendations are generated automatically based on system metrics gathered by the cloud monitoring service over the previous 14 days. You can use idle VM recommendations to find and stop idle VM instances to reduce waste of resources and reduce your compute bill and thus prevent CO2 emissions. Fantastic. Looks pretty easy to use. you just run recommender, recommendations list, and you can do it in projects uh, against a project. Um, I actually, uh, a little while ago, I wrote a script that loops through any organization, gets the projects, and then runs recommender against each project and tells you if there's any resources that are idle in that project. Yeah, I remember working at a one of the big four, um, actually on AWS, and helping to run some Shut down scripts to basically shut down something like four and a half thousand VMs. Wow. And it's probably saved a million dollars a month. Wow. <laughs> it was just like they're just lying around. Oh, some of them have been used for two years. Wow. It was just like, yeah, yeah chaos. <laughs> That's significant. Yeah. So that opens up a bigger question, doesn't it, in having control of your tenancy? I mean, I mean, this is probably a question for another show, another episode, but that's something that really needs to be 
like controlled at yeah really yeah you got to have at least a you know expiry date or something or a review by this time um the stuff that i'm seeing is people never put like an owner or who to contact about some junk and then if it's you know you've got some staff everyone's worried about oh what happens if we turn it off it's you know probably only in like giant legacy ba- things like banking when <laughs> people are doing that but um well, i hope so everyone else is doing yeah this well. yeah this is this could this is a big problem right this can be a big problem for big organizations you spin up a project uh the original owner leaves that piece of information has left the company it's a big reorg um, it's probably what's you know happened big reorg um gets abandoned oh we'll just spin up another project yeah you know uh okay what about the old projects um but you're right some sort of revalidation or re-request system or some way of like you know um you, you know when you get these free domain names and they get you get an email every 30 days click this to to revalidate your, your domain <laughs> i yeah. don't know if you got one of those i got one of those um that's what we need that's a feature we need, right? With an org, org policy that says revalidate project every twelve months, yeah, or with a period, right? And then it, the, the email goes out to all the owners of the project, right? And someone has to respond and and revalidate the project. If it doesn't get revalidated, it goes delete. It gets <laughs> delete within thirty days, and then thirty days after that, it's gone. Yeah, right. There you go, Google. There's a feature. Right. I'm going to try and make it, but they'll come along and steamroll me before then. I bet you yeah. that's, that's I think, usually what happens. Few places have had the uh, the screen test, or basically, uh, whoever you turn something off, whoever complains first, they're now the owner. <laughs> that's it. It's yours now. I love it. I love it. But I don't know anything about it. Yeah. Too bad. <laughs> anyway, guys, have a look at Recommender. Run this across all your projects, and you'll find. Without a doubt, there's stuff that hasn't been used in a long time and you can just shut it down and you're doing the environment uh, a favour as well. Yeah, let's move on. Uh, last week we talked about uh, – you, you, were, you were off crook last week. That's, that's fine. We had, um, we, had, uh, we had Dave in on the last episode and we talked about uh, Google – we talked about the bug bounty that they, they have. Um, and since then, Dave – They've doubled the bug bounty rewards. Google has announced it will be doubling the rewards it offers to bug bounty hunters who can demonstrate working exploits for a range of zero-day and one-day vulnerabilities across a variety of platforms. Cash money. (laughs) Cash money, yeah. Rewards offered for valid one-day security exploits increased by more than double to the maximum of $71,337 up from $31,337 previously. I mean, it's still pretty good value. You know, someone's found a pretty critical bug. and Well, I'm glad. I'm no. glad I didn't report that bug I found. So now I'm going to get some more money for it. That's good. <laughs> Here's the question, Ida. Uh, you see those two numbers there? Yes. 31337 and $31,337. What do you, what's, uh, what's special about those numbers? It's elite speak. It's li- <laughs> For listeners that don't know, <laughs> this is an inside gag with Google. Uh, the last, the last uh, four digits spell L-E-E-T in elite speak, which is shorthand for elite, which is an old hacker 
term from the eighties, I guess. Um, yes, and that's that's the the money that they that they give you with one three three seven on the end. I thought that was funny. Um, but the point is, there's more money on offer, right? Money is good. <laughs> money Usually. is good. Money is good. Anyway, take a look. Link is in the show notes. Um, all right, we'll move on. Uh, Ida, this is something you wanted to talk about. Uh, Project Zero Metrics. What can you tell us? Yeah, so Project Zero has been around for about 10 years now, um, and they've just done a bit of a review of the last three years on, um, yeah, just the 300 and I think 76 issues they've raised, um, and basically looking at the, the trends, and it looks like they're basically back in 2019, um, it took quite a while for people to hit the the ninety day disclosure deadline. So with Project Zero, they they go to the vendor like Microsoft or Oracle, anyone that they they found this bug in, and say so you've got ninety days, we're going public, um, and then this little grace period afterwards. Um, so yeah, it says in in twenty twenty one, vendors took an average of fifty two days to fix security vulnerabilities reported from Project Zero. Um, which is a ex- significant acceleration from average about 80 days 33 years ago. So I think that's definitely an improvement. Um, uh, it's quite interesting. I had a look there through the, um, there were 14 won't fixes that they have raised, um, and they were all against Microsoft. Um, no one else said they won't fix them, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, but none of them, I think, were that like majorly critical. Um, it was an interesting one where you can do basically IP spoofing and steal people's Kubernetes tokens, um, which were like, that's, that's spoofing and we don't care about that. Stealing people's domain tokens. I don't know. Seems a bit strange. Um, but you can get the, yeah, you can get the token. I mean, they care about that, right? Who cares about authentication tokens? (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, it's really good to see the, uh, you know, release cadence of fixes coming uh, a lot faster um particularly because it's actually you know way more important now we've got a lot more people on cloud and using um i guess technology products and they're getting much more critical and woven into everything in our lives right so just to capture that for the for those that uh are new to this and this is some this is a new project to me as well um we've got these guys and they're going out to vendors and saying, hey, we're reporting this bug to you. We're going to set a benchmark of 90 days, uh, and we're going to track your performance on fixing these bugs over a period of time, and so three years now. And what they are finding is that, generally speaking, uh, the vendors are getting better at fixing their bugs. Is that the TLDR on it? Yeah. Um, it yeah. looks like Linux as well be... I think the average was 25 days to fix as well, which is pretty right. good. Oh, when I say organizations, I mean like open source projects as well. Yeah, I guess yeah. big open source projects. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, they've got 376 issues that they've been tracking. And uh, yeah, I, I guess we'll see this, uh, you know, ideally this will give a benchmark for them to meet. And we'll, over a period of time, we'll see who the worst performers are. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they had got stats earlier back from, you know, 10 years ago and, and the tech scene is, is very ancient. I, yeah. I don't think they do. No. I read something in the article said it's only like the last three years they've been been on it. 
but uh, yeah, seeing seeing that profile over ten years would certainly make interesting viewing. Mm. Um, all right. Well, look. I mean, we'll we'll keep an eye on the show and and keep reporting on that as as it comes up. Now, this is an annual thing they release. Uh, I'm not sure. I think it's the first right? time they've done this. Okay. Okay. Well, um, maybe in three yeah. more years they'll do it. Well, I'm, I'm hoping it's going to be annual. That'd be great to see. Yeah. yeah. All right, moving on. While we're on the security sort of vibe, um, Google reports 400,000 daily Log4j scans. Uh, Google says there are as many as 400,000 scans for Log4j vulnerabilities against Google Cloud each day, suggesting that IT professionals need to continue to be vigilant and ensure that they remediate vulnerable systems. So, unfortunately, I think... That's it. Like, you're going to see 400,000 every day for perpetuity now. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Like, people are going to be scanning for this forever, <laughs> right? Um, so, yeah, patch up, patch them up, use cloud armor, yeah. stop them. If you them. patched by now, uh, it's not great. <laughs> like, it's not it's great. It's a pretty bad yeah. bug. Yeah, or, or you could just do, you know, place that I'm aware of. Their version of Log4j is so old, it's not vulnerable to it. <laughs> uh, yes. uh, yeah, you could just do it that way. Um, or you could use... Um, uh, not log anything. Microsoft How about De- that? <laughs> or not log anything. You could do... Yeah, you could not log anything. Or you could use Microsoft Defender for Cloud. Oh, yes. Did you hear about this one? So Microsoft Defender for Cloud uh, is now available for Google Platform. Hmm. All right. Now, I, I have to admit, I, I, I didn't know what they were talking about here, right? Um, and I thought, oh, yeah, it's a, I don't know what Defender is, right? It's a malware, spyware thing that Microsoft runs, runs on Windows, right? So I had, a, had an instance there and I went looking for them. Now, how do you install this thing? Well, it's, you don't install it on an instance, right? It, it, it's basically their, well, not quite, but it's more or less their version of Security Command Center. Oh, uh, yeah. All right, and uh, you can you can hook it in now with uh, AWS, obviously Azure, and now GCP. It was previously called uh, Azure Defender or Micro, uh, Azure Security Center yeah, or something right. like that, but they've re- rebranded it to uh, Defender for Cloud. Yeah, so it looks pretty straightforward. I, I mind you, I don't have much Azure experience, but. Uh, just looking at the BUI, you can you can see what projects are integrated with it. Uh, you can see the workloads that's, that are available. Um, gives you a full inventory um, and uh, the scanning status, um, compliance status, and and an overall score, um, which you know, good. You know, I'm 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 all for crediting good engineering where there's good engineering, right? And uh, this, uh, as you say. Uh, seems to be a, a bit of a leader in this space at the moment. Yeah, Microsoft's um, security stuff is actually pretty good. Um, I think the back end or the stuff that plugs in all the hybrid multi-cloud stuff is uh, Azure Arc, um, which is, I think it was still pretty, a couple of years ago, it was still very infant, early days stuff. Um, so I didn't think I wasn't particularly impressed. It seemed pretty limited about what it could do. Um, I could read some labels on the VM and, that was about it a couple of years ago. Right. Right. Um, and here's, here's the note on this. Azure Security Center and Azure Defender are now called Microsoft Defender for Cloud. 
We also named Azure Defender plans for Microsoft Defender plans. For example, Azure Defender for storage is now Microsoft Defender for storage. So if you hear those terms uh, interchange, then that'd be why, and just be aware that uh, Microsoft Defender now supports GCP. Pretty cool. All right, and finally, uh, I just wanted to take it another new feature. I mean, these features are coming thick and fast at the moment. Um, we had five or six on that we talked about on the last episode. But this is um, supercharge your event-driven architecture with new cloud functions, second generation, now available in public preview. Um, so what do we get? Well, we get uh, longer processing time, uh, six times the execution time from nine minutes to 60 minutes. Uh, longer data processing pipelines, longer machine learning pipelines, and we also get some new instances. We get a four meg uh, two vCPU, eight, eight, oh, sorry, four gig two vCPU, eight gig two vCPU, and a sixteen gig four vCPU monster. Right, a um, bunch of other new features here as well. Longer request processing, larger instances, concurrency. Uh, you can have minimum instances that helps with your warm up, and you can do traffic splitting on a function, which I thought was really cool as well. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, a whole new developer experience with a new UI, uh, portability based on OSS build packs. We talked about them on mm -hmm. the show before, and functions framework. Uh, yeah, and Google have got some great documentation on it. I mean, this sounds great. I mean, you know, serverless um, serverless is just it's just just going along in leaps and bounds. We're almost at the point now where why do we have a server? You know, if you're getting a 16 gig v, 4 vCPU just to run a function that you can run for 60 minutes, like there's going to be very few use cases that that's not going to cover. Yeah, right. <laughs> the uh, you know the fact that you can pay you know per per second of that usage per mm. whatever in the scalability. Yeah, but you've got to you know build your workflow to be kind of stateless. That's the tricky part. That's the um, yeah. it'd be great if you could attach a disk to uh, a whole bunch of these, and then you know as requests come in, the disk is magically attached and it's you know read write many. And they can all write to the same thing. That would be awesome. But I um, don't think that's yet, there yet. Um, mm. Something I was interested in the, with this um, new V2 of Cloud Functions, and, uh, well, I think it's Cloud Run as well, um, that, yeah, the time it's gone up to 60 minutes, but the, um, we still, if using PubSub, the maximum acknowledgement time is 10 minutes. So if you trigger a job and you say, oh, run for, you know, as long as you need, and it takes 15 minutes, uh, your pub sub will go, oh, okay, that, that job has failed. It won't wait. So there's some uh, Google work that's being done in the background to basically work out, try to increase that or change the um, uh, pull, from a, change from a push model to a pull model. Um, there's a few things they can do to kind of fix this. It's a bit tricky how to, um, that's if you're using PubSub, but if you use Event Arc, it's a bit different um, for triggers. Um, but also if you use Cloud Run for Anthos, um, the runtime is 24 hours as well. 
Well, look, as an architect, you just need to be aware of that, yeah. right? You've only got 15 minutes on PubSub. Oh, 10 minutes, um, yeah. Well, t- 10 minutes, rather. It's got to be aware of that. Yeah, there's, thing, there's, there's lots of workarounds you can do, um, but it kind of defeats the purpose of using PubSub. So. <laughs> or a message. I mean, it's a messaging bus, right? Yeah. I mean, I, ideally, you want your message to go in and then immediately be picked up on the other side, right? I mean, it just so it flows through straight away. If you can hang on to it for a little bit, then that's great, right? That helps, you know, making things a bit more reliable. But 24 hours? Mm, yeah. Probably, I mean, for batch processing a bit of an things ask. like that, um, and where you're waiting for the correct response from something um, and you don't get it and you can, you know, you know that you don't get it, that's fine. I can still see a lot of use cases for the whole 60, 60 minutes, especially with, um, yeah, scaling out. Or HTTP requests and a whole bunch of stuff. It just makes it a lot easier to do concurrent concurrency. Yeah, well, this new version does support concurrency, leverage up to a thousand concurrent requests with a single function, minimize cold starts, and improve latency and cost when scaling. Mm. Good stuff. All right, well, uh, we've had a bit of a look at that. And look, I think that's going to be about it for today's show. We, we've been gas bagging far too long, I think. <laughs> um, Next week, our next fortnight is going to be a special Women in Tech episode, so look out for that. Uh, don't forget to uh, look up the Kasner Between Two Clouds YouTube channel. You can contact us on the email, gcplife at kasner.com.au. And we've got the Twitter there, which is uh, at gcplife. Well, I've got to go and give that Twitter channel a bit of love. It probably looks a bit daggy at the moment. Uh, and we've got the website, which is kasner.com.au slash gcplife. And go and write us a review on iTunes. It'll really help the show out. Uh, I'm not an iTunes user, but shh, don't tell anyone that. Go and have a, If you've got it there, then uh, please go and do that. And don't forget, today's sponsor was Kazna. At Kazna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. And look, that's about it for us. We'll catch you in two weeks. Yeah. Bye. Welcome to GCP Life, Episode 9, a podcast where we discuss GCC. How many times do I have to do this? Right. I'll tighten the mic stand up because, you know, that'll help. That'll really help.